Hi, this is Pastor Nelson Mercado. Thank you for tuning in to our podcast from the Nashville First Seventh-day Adventist Church. I hope you are blessed by today's message. Let us pray. Our kind, loving Father, indeed, we rather have Jesus. He is the center of our faith. And Lord, um, we thank you for the gift of salvation. And now, Lord, as we open your word and speak about just that, we pray that you will Grant us the understanding and the courage to follow you, no matter where you lead. In Jesus' name, amen. It was uh, February 15th, 1993. And after spending what seemed like an uh, eternity in the labor and delivery uh, room, uh, we were expecting our child, our first child to be born, and um, I, I know that I wanted to have a boy. I ha- wanted to have a boy, my first child to be a boy, and, and Lucy and I did not, um, we, we didn't want to find out about the sex of the boy until, uh, child until uh, it was born. We wanted to be surprised. So when the time came, you know, obviously all the doctors and nurses are around, and so I'm standing back, but I'm tippy-toeing, looking for the evidence that uh, it was a boy. And as soon as I saw the evidence, I was jumping for real. Yes, it's a boy. All nine pounds and four ounces of them. That's what it was, right? Nine, nine, nine four. <laughs> there he is. <laughs> well, for our daughter, it was sort of the same. You know, I, I, I wanted to have a girl. So the same thing happened. You know, we didn't want to find out about the sex. And uh, at the end, you know, when she was getting ready to deliver, there I am tippy-toeing again looking for the evidence. And how happy I was that she was a girl. And you know, when, we, when our children are born, when we think about all the possibilities, about what this child will become, what kind of things they will do. And, and you know, the fact of the matter is though, when our children are born, the fact is that they are born into a sinful world. And even though it's just a child, at some point, Soon, there will become, there will be a necessity for that child, for that person to be born again. To be born again. You know, this concept of being born again, it's sort of, uh, you know, we've heard it many times. It's, it's sort of become a cliche, I think, being born again. Um, I know that uh, I, I was from the Catholic persuasion, and so when I left Catholicism and became a Seventh-day Adventist, you know, the, the, the saying was, I was born again. And so that's the kind of thing they said, well, you leave Catholicism, become a Protestant, you were born again. That's sort of a, the way they say it. Um, but, you know, you think about that. How about those that are born in the church? You were born in the church, you, 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 you spent you know, your, your childhood years, you went to the cradle, kindergarten, primary, you went through it all. Is there a need for you to be born again? You were born in the church, or is that just for those that leave Catholicism? Oh, you may say, well, pastor, I, you know, I'm baptized, I'm a member of this church, so it, I guess the answer is obvious, I have been born again. But is there more to be born again than just to be a member of a church? Is there more to it? What does it mean to be born again? Let's open our Bibles to the Gospel of John. In chapter 3, verse 3 is our scripture reading. John chapter 3 and verse 3. I'm reading from the New King James Version, John chapter 3, verse 3. 
Jesus answered and said to him, Most assuredly I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Now, this is probably one of the better uh, known stories in scriptures, you know, uh, Jesus' nighttime meeting with Nicodemus. And for the sake of our message today, we're going to call it Nick at Night. That's the title of our message, Nick at Night. And, and, and you know, as we review this story about the, this interview that Jesus had with Nick, we are going to find out what it means to be born again. Now, as usual, we need to look at some context to see, to understand better the story. So to do this, we need to go to chapter 2. So go to chapter 2 real quick. And there in chapter 2, there's two significant events that take place that set the stage for the ministry of Jesus. For example, in in chapter 2, verses 1 through 12, we read the story of the wedding at Canaan. And there, of course, Jesus converted the water into wine. That was his first miracle. And we read in verse 11, this is John chapter 2, verse 11, this beginning of signs Jesus did in Cana of Galilee and manifested his glory and his disciples believed in him. So notice Jesus did this miracle, again, the first miracle, and that started it all. His disciples believed in him. And then in verses 12 to 21, we read the story of the first cleansing of the temple. And there afterwards, Jesus, uh, for the first time, starts to talk about his death and, and how he will resurrect after three days. We see that in verse 19. But then I, I want to focus on verses 23 to 25. Notice John, John chapter 2, verses 23 to 25. Now, when he was in Jerusalem at the Passover... During the feast, many believed in his name when they saw the signs which he did. But Jesus did not commit himself to them because he knew all men and had no need that anyone should testify of men, for he knew what was in man. Now, to be clear, Jesus, you know, again, he did these miracles. He started this first miracle and, and, and what the one is at Canaan so that they may believe in him. So that the purpose that those that saw it back then, they saw, you know, this is man. There's something about this man. Maybe he is the Messiah. For us who, who, who read about it thousands of years later, we can say there's something about this man. Maybe he is the Messiah. The purpose of believing in him. But now there's a, 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 an interesting twist here. Because, again, we read in verse 23 that many believed in him. Wasn't that his purpose? That they believed in him. However, in verse 24, it says Jesus did not commit himself to them. So they believed in Jesus as a result of those signs. But what we're reading here is that Jesus did not believe it. Jesus, to use a contemporary phrase, Jesus knew it was fake news. Yeah, they believed in him, but they probably believed in him to see what was in it for them. What were the fringe benefits? But Jesus knew their hearts. Jesus knew that what they were feeling, they weren't really converted. They weren't really surrendered. It was, it was selfish. Jesus knew that among this group that believed him, there were, there were, there were going to be some who would be in that crowd at the end yelling, crucify him. Well, he didn't believe it. You know, there are people who... Who, who now who know put on, how to put on a good show of being Christian, perhaps for the fringe benefits, but they truly are not surrendered. They're truly not converted. And you know, we may be able to 
to fool our friends. We may be able to fool our family. We may be able to fool ourselves, but nobody can fool Jesus. Jesus knows our hearts. And so because Jesus knew their hearts, even though it says they believed in him as a result of, of everything that he was doing, Jesus, nah, you know, I know your hearts. I know, I know this isn't real. But then we, this, this segues into chapter 3. Remember, in the, in, the, in the manuscripts, there is no chapter division. So this is a continuous line of thought. All right? So, again, these are people that believed in him. Jesus said, nah, you know, this is, I don't really believe that this is true. Chapter 3, verse 1, there, there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. Now, this is not obvious in the King James or in a new King James, but in the Greek, the way this starts is by simply saying, now there was a man. In other words, many believed in Jesus because of the signs he did, but Jesus didn't trust them because he knew their hearts. He knew that this was fake news, but there was a man named Nicodemus. You see the contrast there? These people, oh yeah, they believe that it was all fake news, but there was a man named Nicodemus. Oh, friends, that, that, that could be said about us. Huh? Yeah, that, you know, we live in a time where people are, are not truly surrendered. They, 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 everything is fake news, but there was a man named Henry. There was a woman named uh, uh, Erica. You know, the difference. You know, I, we talked about that last week. The fact that, that as Christians, we ought to wear a uniform. Remember that? And as we go out, you know, people can, should be able to tell that we are Christians just by looking at us. There's something different about that man. Amen. And, and, you know, this is an opportunity. These are opportunities that God gives us to testify of him. When they get, people can sense that. You know, I'm ashamed to say, I'm ashamed to recognize that, I may have told you this before, but when I was in the Navy, um, you know, I was already in a Seventh-day Adventist, I was a Christian, and... and and one, one young lady, a colleague of mine, was sitting across from me and said, Nelson, there's something different about you. She noticed, you know, there's something different about you. And, you know, I wish I could say that I took advantage of that opportunity and said, you know, it's because Jesus changed my heart. But I sort of blew her off. I'm ashamed of that. But, you know, again, the purpose is that so, so that people will see our good works and give God the glory. That's Matthew 5, 16. We ought to be different. So, but there was a man named Nicodemus. There was something about this man. Now, Nicodemus, of course, wasn't a nobody. He was a, a Pharisee. He was a member of the Sanhedrin, which is the supreme council of the, in the tribunal of the Jews. He was a bigwig, if you will, right? Yeah, an important man. And, and, but it seems, though, after the events of chapter 2, you know, the miracle there in the weddings in Canaan, people started to talk, and, and then Jesus does the cleansing in the, in, in the temple. People started to talk about this man, and, and this came to the, to the ears of Nicodemus. Now, in the book Desire of Ages, page 167, author Ellen White, uh, she says that, that as, as he heard about these things, uh, uh, what Jesus was doing, he had anxiously studied, speaking of Nicodemus, he had anxiously studied the prophecies relating to the Messiah, and the more he searched, the stronger his was his conviction that this was the one who was to come. Amen. Think about it. You know, he heard all the things that were Jesus, but he studied. He looked it up. He searched it out. Again, that's a lesson for us. Search it out. Because the more he searched it out, you know, of course, he was searching the Old Testament. All the prophecies in the Old Testament that pointed to Jesus as the Messiah. 
You know, some amazing prophecies, right? 70 weeks. Remember the 69 weeks and all that? Powerful stuff. And the more he studied, no, there's something about this man. Now, of course, he wasn't perfect. Nicodemus wasn't perfect. We know that he, he didn't want to ruin his reputation. Because, you know, there was a lot of talk about Jesus. And, and, and among his, his bigwig circles, you know, they, they, they didn't like Jesus too much. And so they, he, he didn't want to be seen by Jesus because people would talk about him. And so he decided in this nighttime meeting. And so notice verse 2. Uh, this man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you're a teacher come from God. For no one can do the things that you do unless God is with him. You know, I, yeah, again, this Nicodemus is a, is a bigwig, a member of Sanhedrin. You could argue that he's like a politician. You know how politicians, you know, they... They butter you up. They say these nice words. And so I'm thinking he's trying to butter up Jesus. Hey, Jesus, you know, there's something about you. You must be a man of God. Nobody can do the things that you do. He's trying to butter up Jesus. Maybe, maybe he's trying to, to, to get Jesus to sit down with him and say, well, maybe he was expecting Jesus to thank him for those words. After all, this is a man of influence. If a man of influence comes to you and say, hey, yeah, listen, you're a man of God. You're doing some great things. Maybe he was expecting Jesus to say, well, thank you. You know, that means a lot coming from you. Let's sit down and talk some chop. Maybe this is what he's expecting. Again, I like a politician, Nicodemus. But, you know, <laughs> Jesus gets to the heart of the matter pretty quickly. Because Jesus knows our hearts, and Jesus knows what we need. Aren't you glad that he knows what you need? Because sometimes we don't know what we need. Jesus knows what we need. And he knew right off the bat what this man needed. And he gets to the heart of the matter pretty quickly in, uh, in verse 3. In verse 3, Jesus answered and said to him, Most assuredly I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Again, this, this doesn't seem the right answer for what Nicodemus said. Nicodemus said, listen, you, you, you must be a man of God because of the signs that you do. Jesus should have responded based on that statement, but he goes around the way and said, no, no, you must be born again. You come to me for teaching, but what you really need is to be born again. What you need is a spiritual rebirth. And if, you can, if, you don't, if you're not born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. How many of you want to be, uh, see the kingdom of God? You want to see the kingdom of God? Let me see. We're talking about eternity. We're talking about salvation, seeing the kingdom of God. It's, you know, these words that Jesus told Nicodemus are not just for him. He's saying that unless you're born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. So all of you, and including myself, raise our hands. We want to see the kingdom of God. So if that's the case, we must be what? We must be born again. We must be born again. It has to be more than theory, my friends. There has to be a spiritual transformation. There is a necessity to be born again. You know, it's, it's, it's a sad thing when this term to be born again is controversial for some. You know, I've told you before that, you know, once in a while I do some research and, and, and I go on, on YouTube specifically and see what's out there, see what, you know, what kind of trends are in, in Christianity, what, what kind of trends we're seeing in Adventism, that kind of thing. I do that. And, and, um, or what others are saying about Adventism. And I ran into a video that was titled, Former Seventh-day Adventist Becomes Catholic. 
And I thought that was kind of strange. You don't see that all that often. But obviously it happens. It's not the first time I see this, but it's not, it doesn't happen often. It was a young man, probably in his mid to late 20s. And it was about five to six minutes. And he simply explains why you know, he left the Adventist church to become Catholic. Well, I was curious about this. So I, you, know, you can have a, 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 a virtual conversation with people online. So I, I contacted him and just, just to see what's going on. Because I was curious. And so we had sort of a back and forth conversation for a, you know, just a day, really. And um, not, not sure how, how long he spent in Catholicism, but being my, uh, a former Catholic myself, I, you know, what he was saying to me was a lot of the stuff that I learned out as a Catholic. Mainly, well, you know, if you're not Catholic, you don't have the authority to interpret the Bible because the authority belongs to the church. And he, he, and he mentioned the fact that you, uh, you don't believe in infant baptism. You believe in, in the need to be born again, but, but you don't need to be born again. That certainly doesn't go along with what Jesus just said here, isn't it? If you are going to see the kingdom of God, you must be born again. You can't confuse these words of Jesus. And again, it's, it, it's got to be more than theory. I've said before that, that Adventism is a highly intellectual uh, denomination. You know, we have a lot of truths. We study these doctrines and, and uh, what we call the present truth. And it's very important. God has, has brought up these, these truths that have been lost through the years. And, and, and this is the, the truth that we must proclaim to every tribe, tongue, and people. But friends, it's got to be more than theory for us. There's got to be more than that. It's got to be a transformation. It's got to be a new birth. Now, this, this, the words born again literally mean to be born from above. And this is clear in, in the Greek text. So, so this is why Nick's response was you know, a bit surprising. Uh, Nicodemus responds this way. Verse 4. How can a man be born when he is old? Can he, you know, can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and, and be born? Now, I don't know about you, but con- con- coming from a man who's supposed to be an educated man, a, a, a member of Sanhedrin, a Pharisee, that seemed like a dumb response. I mean, how are you going to enter into your mom's womb again? I mean, that, 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 that doesn't make sense. But you see, my opinion is that Nicodemus was trying to divert the, 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 the conversation. You know, when, when somebody is telling you exactly what you're supposed to do and you, you recognize that, yeah, you're right, but you don't want to acknowledge it, you try to change the conversation in some way, and maybe Nicodemus is trying to divert the conversation. Maybe if he responds in a certain way, maybe Jesus will go a different way because he knew that Jesus would get into the heart of the matter, diverting the conversation. Yeah. I mean, after all, think about it. A Jew in those days believed, you know, I'm a son of Abraham, so I'm thinking what Nicodemus is thinking. I'm a son of Abraham. I'm a Pharisee. I'm a member of the Sanhedrin. I am virtually a shoe-in for the kingdom of heaven because of who I am, because of my, my heritage, because I'm a Jew. We are virtually guaranteed into the kingdom of heaven. So Jesus, you're talking about me being born again? You must be talking to a non-Jew. I'm not a non-Jew. Those words are for the non-Jews, for those Gentiles, I'm guaranteed into the kingdom of heaven. But Jesus, Jesus doesn't let out. He doesn't let out. Jesus answers in verse 5, Most assuredly I say to you, unless one is born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Amen. He says it again. 
You know, Nicodemus tries to divert the conversation. Jesus doesn't fall by it. He he, he understands what Nicodemus needed. And you must be born now of the water and the spirit. But you know, it's it's interesting how you can, you know, you you can, both are tied. In verse 3, Jesus says, unless one is born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. In verse 5, he says, unless you are born of what? Of water and of the spirit, you cannot see the kingdom of God. So notice that being born again is tied to being born out of the water and out of the spirit. So what is Jesus talking about when he says water and the spirit? He's talking about baptism. Mm -hmm. When a person is born again, there is a need to be baptized. Again, and this goes to this conversation I had with my Catholic friend because obviously a baby can't, you know, understand those things and be baptized. You must acknowledge this. You must be born again, and then you must be baptized. And notice, again, he says, unless you're born of the water or spirit, you cannot see the kingdom of God. Now, it isn't that baptism per se, the act of baptism saves you, but the act of baptism is the acknowledgement and the, te- and, and the witness that you give to God and to everybody else that you surrender to Jesus, that you indeed have been born again. You know, Paul talks about that in Romans 6, the, the analogy that when you are descended into water, you die, right? But you come out of the water a new person. You have been born again. And you know, I say that because there are some people who are putting off their baptism. Well, you know, feel, I don't feel ready, but you know, I've accepted Jesus, I, I've experienced this, but I don't want to do this. Friends, the time has come. If you've accepted Jesus, if you experience this rebirth, then there, don't put it off anymore. It's a, the best thing you can do is to surrender to Jesus and be baptized. And Jesus ties it again. You must be born again. You must be born of the water of the Spirit if you are to see the kingdom of God. We all want to see the kingdom of God. Is that necessity? Is that necessity? Now, when Jesus talks about the water and the spirit, Nicodemus knows what he's talking about. Because people that were converted to Judaism in those days, uh, Jewish proselytes, were, were actually baptized, just like we do. John was baptizing in the Jordan River. He knew what he was talking about. So here, I'm trying to put myself in Nicodemus' shoes and maybe Jesus, uh, Nicodemus is saying, hold on, you're telling me a, a, a Pharisee, a member of the Sanhedrin, that I need to be baptized? No, 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 no. That's for those that, that, that come to Judaism. But friends, salvation is more than just the ancestry. It doesn't matter who you are. Yeah? Salvation is not about law keeping. And dare I say, my friend, salvation is not dependent upon you being a Seventh-day Adventist. Salvation is depending upon Jesus and Jesus alone, about being born again. You know, Nicodemus, again, anticipated, you know, admission to the kingdom of God because he had his Jewish ticket with him. But he needed a complete transformation by the power of the Holy Spirit. And unless there's a complete transformation by the power of the Holy Spirit, this is inadequate. Now, Jesus makes a distinction between the physical birth of flesh and the divine birth by the Holy Spirit. Now, this, this concept about being born again and, and transformation, it's hard to comprehend. We can't explain it scientifically. You can't. In fact, Jesus agrees with that because he goes on to say in verse 8, he uses the Holy Spirit as analogy. The wind blows where it wishes, and you, hear, and, you, and, you, and you hear the sound of it, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it goes. So is everyone who is born of the Spirit. So being born again is equated to being born of water and being born of the Spirit. 
The wind is invisible. The wind is uh, uh, unpredictable. So are the activities of the Holy Spirit. You see, being born again is a miracle. Miracles still happen, friends. When somebody is born again, that's a miracle. But the miracle isn't real. The miracle hasn't happened unless there's a transformation. That, that, That spiritual transformation is the evidence that the miracle has occurred. So when we think about what does it mean to be born again, the first point is that to be born again equates to a spiritual transformation. There's a change in us. A change in who we are, a change in how we think, a change in our behavior. There's a complete transformation. Sort of like the analogy that I've shared before, like the butterfly, right? The little ugly, hairy, or wrinkly caterpillar, right? That gets in this cocoon and all of a sudden a, new, a butterfly comes out. Something different, something beautiful comes out when that transformation occurs. When there is a spiritual transformation, when you've been born again, that's to happen. You are, you are that ugly caterpillar, but now you are a beautiful butterfly. Something different, something better. So again, being born again equates to spiritual transformation. But Jesus explains this to Nick, and, and, and it's a little bit hard for Nick to understand. So Nick answers, how can these things be in verse 9? And so in, in order to explain this, Jesus takes Nick to a familiar story. Notice verses 14 and 15. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. So Jesus takes him back to that story there in in, in Numbers chapter 21. You remember the children of Israel, as usual, complaining and whining. And there they are in the desert, and, and so God briefly gets uh, uh, upset and he wants to teach him a lesson. And so we're told that God sends fiery serpents, right? You know the story. And I, you know, obviously it's not necessarily God sent fiery serpents uh, because in the desert where the children of Israel are, there are fiery des- uh, serpents. And, and by the way, they're called fiery serpents because when they bite you, the pain feels like burning. That's why they're called fiery serpents. And I hate snakes, you know. Uh, the only good snake is a dead snake. <laughs> but Lu- Lucy loves snakes, and that's one of those things that we don't agree on. Yeah. So, so, but it, it, so it isn't that God sends them. God withdrew his protection. The children of Israel were in the desert, and as long as God protected them, you, you, can, you can walk through fire, and you're okay. But if God withdraws, withdraws his protection, you're, you're it. And so this is what happens, right? And so God provides the solution to the, to the venom of the fiery serpent. And what was the, the solution? You know, he made, he made a, a serpent, a, a brazen serpent, and they put it on a pole, and, and they raised a pole, and whoever wanted to be healed, what did they have to do? They had to look at the serpent. Now, how many of you think that's a silly idea? Listen, I, I'm honest. You know, if I'm bitten by a serpent, and you tell me, well, pastor, you know, you were bitten by a serpent. You know, there's a lot of pit vipers here in the south. You can get them anywhere, right? And they bite you. And, and you tell me, listen, just look at this picture, and you'll be all right, Pastor. I will say respectfully, uh, thanks, but no thanks. I'm going to the ER. I need some anti-venom, right? Of course, there's no anti-venom in the desert. So the solution, the only solution is that you want to be healed. You're going to die if you don't do something about it. You need to look at that serpent and be healed. But see, but see the, the thing was that the solution came from God. 
And if the solution came, comes from God, it may not make sense to you, but it's the word of God. And, and so they look at the serpent and those who did were healed, right? You know, isn't that something? You know, God, God's instructions don't always make sense to us. We apply our own logic. That doesn't make sense, God. I think I'm going to go this way. But friends, if it's the word of God, there's no reason to doubt it. It may not make sense, but that's the best solution. And, and Jesus draws that, 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 that illustration, right? Those that looked up the serpent, they had to believe, and they looked at the serpent, and they were healed. In the same way, those that have been bitten by the serpent of sin, they have to look up. They have to look at the cross and be healed. That's the only way. See, the cross, the cross is at the heart of this conversation with Nick. The cross is at the heart of what it means to be born again. To be born again, we have to believe. We have to believe and in, in receive Jesus. This is why we read in verses 16 and 17, which we know by heart, right? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, so that whoever believes in him may not perish, but have everlasting life. Because God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world might, through him might be saved. This is why Jesus came, to save us from the serpent of sin. And all it takes is to believe. But what it doesn't mean to believe is believing just a mental assent, as if saying, well, you know, I believe Jesus existed. He was a true guy. Yeah, I'm good. I believe. There's got to be more than that, friends. It's more than just believing in the doctrines of the church. There are other words that, that John uses in this gospel uh, that uh, entail believing. In, in chapter 1, verse 12, he says, receive. We must receive him. In chapter 13, verse 20, we must accept him. In chapter 15, verses 14, we must do as he commands. In chapter 10, verse 27, he says, listen and follow. All those things are encompassed in this concept of believe. If you believe, you will do what he says. If you believe, you will follow him and listen to him. If you believe, you will receive and accept him. And it is not a one-time deal either. The word believe there in John 3.16, whoever believes in him is not a one-time, well, I believed in him back in 1965, and I am good. No, it's, it's, it means that we are to continue to believe. It is a participle, believing. You believe every day. There's a constant dependence upon him. It's a constant walk with him. And so believing is a total surrender to Jesus as Messiah, as Son of God, and the Lord of your life. That's what it means. A lifetime experience. So the second point about what it means to be born again, it to be born again is to believe in Jesus. Believe in Jesus, but not just a mental ascent. It is a total surrender, walking with him, accepting him, receiving him, obeying him. That's what it means to be born again. There's one more point that we need to mention. In verse 18, Jesus said, that those who don't believe are already condemned. So notice, Jesus did not come to the world to, you know, to condemn the world, but, but that through him, they, you know, they might be saved. But those who don't believe are already condemned. So if, again, being born again is to believe, but if you don't believe, you're not born again, you're already condemned. It's not that God condemns you, you're condemning yourself. You're already condemned. 
And he goes on to say in verse 19, and this is the condemnation. That the light has come into the world, and men love darkness rather than light, because their deeds were evil. For everyone practicing evil hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his deeds should be exposed. You know, in the end, there's only two groups. There's only two groups. There are those who love the light, and there are those who love the darkness. There is no midpoint, and in the end, it'll be the same way. There are are those who worship God, and there are those who worship the beast. You can't say, I'm going to stay in the middle. I'm going to be like Switzerland. You can't do it. It's either one or the other. Those who love darkness hate the light. Why do they hate the light? Because the light exposes them. Have you ever been in a in a house that there's roaches, you come at night, right? You come in at night and you turn on the light and there they are and they freeze for a second and they scurry away. Light exposes them. Now, you know, please, I'm not calling you a roach, you know, but, but it's the same way. They scurry away. That's what happens because the light, the light exposes them. Jesus is the light, friends. He's the light of the world. He came into the world. He died for the sin of humanity. But a good number of people reject the light because the light exposes them. So they're okay with darkness because in the darkness, nobody knows where the bodies are buried. And you know, it's very interesting that Nick appears to be in the group that loves the darkness. Again, he, he, he's a representative of the Jews, a Pharisee, a member of the Sanhedrin, and he comes to Jesus at night because he doesn't want to ruin his reputation. Yeah, but appearances could be deceiving. Appearances could be deceiving. You know, again, Jesus, maybe seeing uh, Nick as a representative of the Pharisees, those who love the darkness and reject the light. But by making this distinction, between the light, these are the light, and these are darkness, Jesus is in essence asking Nick, which group do you belong to? Because again, Nick knows, Jesus knows his heart. Remember, there is all this group of people that believed in him, but it, 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 it wasn't really true, but there was a man named Nick, and Jesus knew about this man named Nick. He knew his heart. He knew there's something. So Jesus is trying to get to his heart. And now, now maybe, maybe Nick did not really know where he belonged. So which group do you belong to, Nick? Are you those that like the light or the darkness? The same question he's asking us today. Which group do you belong to? Do you belong to the light? Do you like the light? Do you love the light? Or do you like the darkness? You see, those who are born again love the light and live by the light. So this is why we read in verse 21, but he who does the truth comes to the light. You know, you know, you might be in the darkness, but if you love the truth, you're going to come to the light. That his deeds might be clearly seen that they, may, that they have been done in God. Their deeds confirm the reality of their spiritual change. See, this is the thing. Our deeds confirm, again, the evidence of our spiritual change. So, so we start with believing, right? We believe in Jesus. We accept him. We receive him. We obey him. We follow and listen to him. He is our Savior and Lord of our life. That leads to a spiritual change, and that spiritual change is manifested in the actions, the deeds that are done in the light. They're done in the light so that everybody sees them and give God the glory. When a person's been born again, you manifest the, the, the fruit of the Spirit. 
Right? We must be born of the water and of the spirit. The fruit of the spirit. Love, love, joy. Right? Peace, you know, goodness, gentleness, all that. It's part of what we do. The actions that are seen in the light. So being born again is living in the light. That your deeds might be seen in the light and God receives the glory. You know, again, being born again is a miracle. And many people are, maybe they don't believe in miracles that, that much anymore. And, and when you maybe analyze your own life, you feel, well, you know, I don't know, man. This is, this is hard for me. I don't know if I truly experienced this. This change that you're talking about, Pastor, this is hard. But, you know, surely um, you, have, you probably have moved or purchased homes before, some of you, right? You know, we have... Uh, Lucy and I live in our fourth home that we've purchased since we've been married. And this time around, we were very frustrated uh, this last time when we purchased our home because we saw so many houses and it was just so frustrating. We were about to give up until God, you know, in his timing, here you go. But you know, some houses that we visited, they look pretty good from the outside. They look okay from the outside. But when you went in there, totally different story. In fact, some of you know, I was, uh, last year I was involved in helping a, a, a member of this church who had lost her husband, and, and, and so I visited with her, and I tried to, you know, just to see how I can help with the service and whatnot, but it turned, a lot more that, it turned out to be a lot more than that. You know, uh, when I went inside, because the house outside looked okay, it wasn't all that bad, but when I went inside, totally different. I was afraid for my life, quite frankly, when I went in there. So, so, you know, a lot of times we can appear very nice on the outside, but in the inside is a mess. It's dirty. So, so you know, you, you, you're thinking about maybe the, the house you buy, right? So you go into a house. Let's say, just say you, you're buying this house. It maybe it, it doesn't look all that good inside, but, you know, you have a budget. You're going to buy it anyway. Before, the owner of that house was a dirty person. And you know, they say that the way your house looks says a lot about you, right? If it's a mess, maybe your life is a mess. But you decide to buy the house anyway. You go in there, and it's a mess. It's dirty. It stinks. I mean, it's just terrible. But you buy the house anyway. But now, when you buy the house, you're not a dirty person. You're clean. You're, 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 you, you, you value. You cut the grass. You go in there. You paint the walls. You, you shampoo the carpets. Everything looks good now. Why? Because there's a new resident in the house. It's the same house, but there's a new person living in the house. And because there's a new person living in the house, now the house takes a new, uh, you know, gets a, a better reputation in the neighborhood. There's somebody new in that house. And things have changed because of that. Well, friends, before you met Jesus, that old house that is your life, that your body was a mess. Yeah? But now Jesus has moved in because you've received him as Savior and Lord. Jesus has moved in. It's the same body, but with a new resident. The new resident is holy, clean, pure, and righteous. So even though the house is a mess, he can make it look good. Jesus can make you look good. Even though he's living in that old house, he can paint it up. Even though he's living in that old house, he can clean it up. Even though he's living in that old house, he can fix the carpets and shampoo them and hang the drapes and put everything and fix everything that's wrong with your life. Not because your bodily house has changed, but because somebody new is living in there. Jesus has moved in. And it is because Jesus has moved in that everything looks better.
And that's what happens when we're born again. Jesus has moved into our lives, and he's made everything better. And that's what happened with Nick. Nick, um, again, but there was a man named Nick. Jesus knew that there was something different about him. And as you read the story, of course, if you're familiar with the, the Gospels, you know that Nick, in the end, receives Jesus as Savior and Lord. He takes a stand for Christ. He's one of the ones that helps bury the body of Jesus. There was a change in him. He proved by his actions that he was born again. And so how how is it with you today? Will your actions show that you've been born again? Because it's much more than just sitting here and being a member on the list of the members of Nashville first. There's got to be something different. There's got to be a change. There's got to be the death of the old self and the birth of a new person. And so I don't want to finish today, but I'll give you an invitation. Because there are some of you here today who may not have experienced this new birth, this change in your life, and you realize that your life is a mess, that you are that house in the cul-de-sac that has a bad reputation because of the people who lived in there. And you want somebody new to clean it up. And if that's you, and you can invite Jesus into your heart right now, and you know what? It's a presto thing. He'll clean it up right away. He will make you look good. He'll make you look new. But you need to take the step and take a stand for Jesus and say, okay, I am ready for somebody new to move in in my life. If that's you, just, just, just stand where you are or raise your hand. Because it's time, friends. No, we, you know, we don't have the time to be horsing around anymore. Quite frankly, you know, there's something happening in this world that, that is going to shake the foundations. If you don't see that yet, friends, I don't know what you're looking for, what you're waiting for. Jesus is coming soon. And the only way we can be ready for what's coming and has already started if it's Jesus is the one living in your house. And then there are those of you who may already have been considering this and saying, you know, I, 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 I love Jesus. I want to dedicate my, myself to him. But, but, but you've been waiting around for baptism and have not made that decision yet. Remember, Jesus said, unless you're born of water and the spirit, you cannot see the kingdom of God. If you've been born again, then seal it. If you're in love with Jesus, marry him. Because, that, you know, baptism in some ways is like a, is like a wedding ceremony. If I said to my wife 30 years ago, I love you, but I don't want to marry you, we wouldn't be together now, would we? Because it requires a commitment. So tell Jesus today, yes, because I can guarantee you it's the best decision you will ever make in your life. Would you want to be baptized? Is anybody here who would like to say, I want to take that step? I haven't taken it yet, but I want to be born of the water and the spirit. Don't put it off any longer, because I know there are some of you who, who this applies to. Don't put it off any longer. God, here we are, uh, two people that have taken a stand for Jesus. We can go anywhere with Jesus, amen? Anywhere with Jesus. We need more about Jesus. And we're going to talk more about that, my friends, because the fact of the matter is that's what we all need. We all need to take a stand for Jesus, amen? Thanks for joining us. If you're ever in the Nashville area, come and visit us at the Nashville First Seventh-day Adventist Church. We're located at 2800 Blair Boulevard in Nashville, Tennessee. You may also visit us at nfsda.org.